Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Catherine Berman, CEO and co-founder of CNote. And welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. So the first time I met you, I still remember now, that seems like life long ago, was 2017 South by Southwest. I was in a different role at that time. Um, I think it was before we started our company even. And that year, I remember I was sitting in the audience and you were presenting and you guys won the top innovation in fintech in South by Southwest. And I remember when you were talking, you went through your story about how you wanted to start the company. You talked about your dad and you talked about your career. And I, I was floored. I was just sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, you are an amazing woman. I need to meet you. Well, the rest was history. (laughs) Can you tell our audience a little bit about CNOTE and what's the latest with you? Absolutely. Um, it is so fun to reconnect. Um, and that, that does seem a million years ago. And yet we have so much work to do in financial services and in financial innovation that it doesn't feel like that long ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to get to run a company called CNOTE. We're a woman-led fintech company on a mission to close the wealth gap with financial innovation. The real genesis of CNOTE, as you know, was really recognizing the inequality that exists across the country. Um, the wealth gap has turned into a wealth chasm at this point, where we know that um, white, uh, you know, average net worth for white families is 10x that of the average black family net worth. Um, and the statistics get worse. Um, and so what do we do about it? And I think for years I had relied on philanthropy and government to solve the problem, right? As long as policy and I donate, we're good to go. And clearly that's not the case, right? Or else we would have solved this conundrum years ago. And so recognizing that we have this other tool in our toolkit called investments, um, and it's a massive tool um, that could be mobilized to create greater economic justice throughout the country, that could be mobilized to give new economic opportunity to first-time entrepreneurs, to families in low-income communities looking to buy a home and not rent forever, um, for individuals who are looking to create financial stability. I think I had that moment of, we can all play a part in that future. We don't have to just hope for it. We just don't have to pray for it, or we don't have to allocate that responsibility to someone else. Each of us can actually play a role in stepping towards that future of more economic opportunity um, and, and not the lottery, as like I, as I like to call it, because I do think the system today is, um, it's a lottery, depending on who you're born to, depending on what zip code you're born, depending on the cover, color of your skin. It has a great, uh, tremendous ramifications of what your financial um, opportunities and future might look like. So how do we really reverse that trend and make sure that, that we, that we dis, dissemble you know, that, that lottery system and make it much more equitable so that everyone has that opportunity for financial freedom? So that's what we do at CNOTE. And then the how we do it uh, is through the power of technology. So we use technology to make investing or putting your money in community organizations and community products that actually advance this type of equity easier. Um, as I shared a little bit in my South by Southwest pitch, you know, a lot of these great community organizations, community loan funds, community deposit institutions have been around for decades. So what's fun about our work is there's not a totally new type of organization that we had to create from an investment perspective to get this work done. What we had to do is make it easier for individuals and large institutions to connect to them, easier for them to move either a dollar or frankly now hundreds of millions of dollars into community organizations across the country so that we could put that money to work 
um, in a much more meaningful way. Well, that certainly resonates with us. Um, when when you think about the way that you work within the community, let's talk about the role of community development, financial institutions. Um, you said recently in an interview that the lack of awareness on CDFIs was one of your biggest challenges. And you've called CDFIs our economic first responders, which uh, certainly can resonate in the Bay Area and in communities like Oakland and other places where your um, company is founded. So what role do CDFIs play in leveling that playing field? Why is it so crucial, especially during an economic downturn like we've experienced a couple times over the past decade? Yeah, I think what's fascinating about CDFIs is they were created um, as an industry, as a body um, to serve the underserved, right? They were created to make sure that those communities that didn't have access readily readily access to a large financial institution or access to financial products for a variety of reasons um, could actually get access to great um, and and responsible um, and fair um, financial products and so cdfis at their heart are these community loan funds and community deposit institutions who do exactly that who end up serving the parts of the united states um, that are often left out of traditional finance so so that is their mission. Um, today, you know, we have over a thousand CDFIs across the nation, um, working in all over from rural to native to urban communities. Um, and as you said it beautifully, Brad, you know, um, they do play a central role as it relates to times of economic crisis, among others. Prior to the global pandemic, you know, the reason I've always called them lovingly economic first responders is because they were the heroes and are the heroes of our communities in the worst of times. And so whether it's through Hurricane Katrina, whether it's through California forest fires, um, or whether it's an economic depression where, you know, a whole industry is wiped from a community, CDFIs are traditionally the first organizations to come in and rebuild that community, to come in with the first capital, the first loans, the first technical assistance to really support that, communi that community so it can rebuild and thrive. So this is something that CDFIs have been doing for decades, um, largely unrecognized. And as we shared early in our journey meeting each other, you know, I had been a fan of CDFIs for several years prior, prior to starting CNOTE. And when I thought about how to connect investors to community investments, they were the first place I turned. You know, I called up my friends in the industry and said, um, are you getting all the capital and support you need to do your great work? And of course the answer was a resounding no. <laughs> and so what we learned is that while CDFIs were on the front line offering these fair um, loans, these incredible technical assistance opportunities, they weren't getting the visibility or the support or definitely the capital that they need to really address the um, the funding needs and the inequitable um, gaps in, in our country. So they've been doing this great work for years, um, certainly on the front line, both in normal times, but also really shine during our hardest economic times or during natural disasters. Um, and that saying of economic first responders was never more um, accurate than this global pandemic. You know, heading into the pandemic, when PPP was, um, uh, you know, announced and, and started getting off the ground, only 2% of black owned businesses and only 7% of Latinx owned businesses received PPP loans. And so here goes <laughs> shining a light on some of the big holes in our financial system, right? Um, we do continue to have a, a very large financial system that does not adequately um, address 
uh, all of our population, all of the different types of families and uh, socioeconomic backgrounds in the United States. And so, happy to say, the government realized this and then ended up creating a larger allocation to CDFIs, which stands for Community Developed Financial Institutions, so that these community loan funds and community deposit institutions could be secured amount of those PPs and really do what they do best was get to the heart of those who were not being served, make sure that communities of color were getting more opportunity to get the PPP loans, get their questions answered, fill out the applications, turn around in time and save a lot of those small businesses throughout this pandemic. So um, I would say, you know, uh, P CDFIs stepped in in a very, very, very large way. Um, I think it was as of about May, 2021, I believe, um, over 1.6 million PPP loans um, uh, had been made through these um, community finance institutions. So that's CDFIs and other mission-driven deposit institutions, um, resulting in 34 billion in PPP funds. Um, so, so tremendous work, a lot of hard work. Per usual, CDFIs stepped in as the heroes and really made sure they were representing the needs of the community um, and getting those funds out where they were needed most. So talking about funds and, and where they need it the most, let's switch gear a little bit. Um, you are a three-time founder, and we've talked a little bit about the difficulty of being a startup founder, especially uh, for female founders, um, especially for, you know, doing doing something, um, you know, that, that is meaningful and purposeful. Um, sad to say, I think, you know, in our show, we've talked a lot about seeing an enormous amount of fintech funding, but they all go into doing the exact same thing, serving this exact same community, right? So despite increased awareness, um, or in spite of it all, funding to mm -hmm. female founders and communities of color still remain a very, very, very small drop in the bucket. Um, are we ever going to get to equal funding? <laughs> Any thoughts to share there? <laughs> Let, wow. Let's start with a little bit better. Um, I, I think equals is, is a really far-fetched um, goal. Yeah, it, I wish I had the crystal ball, but I will say we're making strides. And some of the things that are happening, particularly I'd say in the capital and fintech community is um, new representation and new intention. New representation, meaning we've seen a surge in female-founded funds over the last couple of years alone. Um, so when I raised my first round, um, I had, it was heavy on um, female founded, you know, female angel investors, female funds. Um, and there weren't tons out there, you know, to, to, to give them props, you know, Astia, Pipeline, Artemis. I mean, these are incredible women who, who you really stepped out when, when they were the few and far between women raising funds or looking to make investments in startups. Um, but fast forward today, in the last couple of years, we've really seen a surge in women um, starting funds and raising funds. Now, I will say, on average, they are not—they um, are not seeming to be as large as first-time male funds. So we still have, I think, a perception and risk among other issues because um, these are very accomplished women raising these funds. Um, but again, the opportunity and 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 the quantity of those uh, of those funds or of those kind of women pioneers is increasing. So that's fantastic. Um, the other thing we're seeing, obviously, is, is with more women fintech founders. 
Um, so more women getting out there and trying and starting and using their background to, you know, create more innovation around fintech product development and frankly use their voice and what they care about to create the next generation of fintech innovation and, and products. So I think that is obviously all going in a positive direction. And then last, as I shared, you know, intention, um, we have definitely seen a lot of folks in the VC community make pledges and commitments um, and some real effort to increase their deal flow, um, increase who they see, um, and ultimately, hopefully, increase who they fund. I think it's a little early to cross the victory line for that last piece um, in terms of who they fund. But again, you have to start with at least looking at more deals run by women and people of color if you're going to make more deals. Um, so all that to say, I'm optimistic. I see a lot of strides. Uh, I would say it's not going fast enough, right, to get us to the type of parity you're talking about, for sure. But one of the things I'm, I'm very optimistic about is the wealth creation piece of it, because what we know is, you know, when you not only fund a successful uh, entrepreneur who exit, she, in fact, then exits and creates new investors as well. And so if many of us are intentional about who's on our cap table, we have an opportunity not only to be a model in terms of, you know, women raising capital, women being extremely um, successful, and creating, a, you know, next generation of, of leaders, but you're creating the next generation of investors, right, who don't look like the typical investor over the last, you know, 100 years. So, so I do think all of those things, including the creation of wealth because of the new investors on the cap table is very inspiring. Yeah, we, we like to say and, and put it in many parts of the book and the principles of, of Beyond Good that you can't be what you don't see. And One of and, my favorite lines, absolutely. Yeah, just, in, in, in working, you know, I, I worked in a credit union in Oakland for six years and I worked in a community bank uh, in Hercules and um, it was based in Richmond and had been there for more than 100 years. And unless you're building and, and supporting communities that are a little bit more diverse, I think you just continue to get the same thing. So in considering that and looking at where we have been seeing venture funding in fintech, especially um, just the bonanza of funding and all of these massive rounds, not just this last year during the, during the pandemic, but really through the past 15 years, if you were as an investor looking at broadening that tent that we serve in financial services, what would you be looking for to invest? And, and what would you tell founders that are looking for that funding, especially founders that are women or people of color? What would you suggest to them? Yeah, I think from an investor lens, um, one of the things that we've known over the years is most investors look for pattern recognition. And that's part of what perpetuates this cycle of investing the same type of people in the same type of products. So I would encourage investors to really get out of pattern recognition and into new segment, meaning who, right, what are the segments of opportunity that that investor has never touched, right? They may have no friends in that community. They may have never experienced that. Um, but but understanding that could be a massive business opportunity and a massive impact opportunity. Um, I do understand the importance of the investor and in kind of knowing an industry. So yes, you bring in advisors and certainly want to make sure that that you've got those experts on your side. But I think from a business opportunity and how we expand the pie is acknowledging that massive business opportunities and expansion opportunities are not just what you know being right of a certain age or of a certain ethnicity. So I think that that is a, a 
true opportunity. And we're seeing that with some funds, you know, in, in great innovations around Maven and others where, where it's a segment that investors maybe didn't know or didn't appreciate, but, but learned, committed to learn and committed to learn the, both the community and the problem they were facing. So I think that level of empathy, if I had to wrap it up into one word, <laughs> is what we need more of. And so if we can get, dial up our empathy, I think we can dial up actually massive business opportunities. And then in terms of entrepreneurs, um, you know, something that was shared with me recently that really resonated was really just aligning with investors that actually get your problem. I think sometimes, you know, it is, um, you know, you're pitching, you're pitching and you're trying to raise funds, um, but it takes just, you know, call after call after call for them to, to actually understand that there is, an, is a problem. And so for the, you know, so for those of us working with in very distinct communities or on a very distinct problem, you know, making sure that that actually resonates, even if the investor hasn't experienced, it's something they can appreciate and resonate. So I think that's one way to eliminate some of the friction that often happens when new entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs of color um, or women entrepreneurs try to pitch their business. And it may be a business, again, that that investor has never um, experienced or a pain point they've never experienced. Um, so that's one piece as well. Um, I'd also say just the importance of the ongoing network. I think the good news, too, is we're seeing a growing network um, amongst um, Black founders, Latinx founders, women founders, and that is tremendous. And so really um, not just, you know, listening to the to the best practices and reading the books and going to the blogs, but using that network to get to the heart of, um, you know, hacking the system, fast tracking your raise, getting warm introductions, you know, really mobilizing that network. It's something I think many of us are not taught how to do as much as others. And so because there is now that network to lean into getting, joining it, and then utilizing it, right, as it relates to everything around the raise and everything around access to capital and future rounds, I think is critical. It's critical for all of us to support one another. And I think it's critical for all of us to keep growing exponentially the opportunity um, to see more success. Um, and, and frankly, I think um, success that is inevitable for incredible Black founders, Latinx founders, um, and women founders. Let, let's build on that um, and, and talk about what the pandemic has done to a lot of these communities, right? So certainly, as you mentioned in the very beginning, there was a lot of inequality that has been, you know, that have existed in our society for a long time. But COVID kind of put a spotlight on it, on the need to equalize the playing field um, for women and communities of color. And we have seen a report after reports that talk about the impact of COVID on different communities, on, on um, for example, women who have either have to take a step back because of caregiving duties or a lot of their jobs um, have taken on the sideline, if you will. So while all of that is happening, there's also a greater awareness on the need to do better, right? So when we think about the balance, where do you think we'll go next? Um, I mean, I think we have not set up the support system, right, for talented women, and that's become very obvious in this pandemic. Um, I just had this great conversation um, with the woman who started, Heather, who started Closing the Women's Wealth Gap, an incredible network if anyone has never heard of them. And just having the conversation that still today in 2021, we don't see childcare as part of our basic 
infrastructure or needs to have to be a functioning society. Um, so I think that there is a there is a real um, again getting back to the the word the word for me which is empathy. There's a real empathy and there's a real understanding that's needed at every level at the policy level. Um, at the product design level, at the capital level, at every level, um, if we're going to remedy some of these um, issues and really have women step into the leadership roles um, that I think are the future. And I think we've seen that. Uh, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about CNOTE is the byproducts that happen when you fund women. We have a, a product that is specifically funds wealth creation for women of color. Um, and, you know, when you fund a black woman entrepreneur, not only are you funding uh, a new business, an inspiring business, but you're creating jobs locally, you're creating economic opportunity for her and her family. And we find that majority of those women we interviewed also end up doing other things like mentoring other women entrepreneurs or volunteering in their community. And so there's just so many incredible net effects that happen when you support women um, and women entrepreneurs. And so anyways, I think, I think if, we can, if we can start dialing in more empathy um, into the, our, our policy and our products, I think we will realize the exciting opportunity that our women in, any, in every part of our economy, from women in leadership roles, women investors, women as entrepreneurs, women as politicians, and so forth. I, I like that point, and I think that's the one thing we don't talk about enough is we are not only funding or supporting the founders, right? We're also supporting the communities where they come from. And then you go about creating more local opportunities, and that's how you start uplifting different people, which is yeah. how we keep seeing the gap that we keep seeing, right? Initially, when you're talking about the zip codes that you're born into, or the families, those social circles that you belong to, when we can start disrupting that, I think hopefully that's when we start seeing a little bit of differences in, um, in how the society is. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I mentioned a few, but I wanna also call out incredible women entrepreneurs um, in Indian country, incredible Asian women entrepreneurs. I mean, there is no shortage of talent in this country. Um, and so they each represent communities that again, as you said beautifully, right, will continue to expand and bring more opportunity to that specific community. So it really is a multiplier effect when you support um, women in general, but particularly women of color. Well, we'd like to say that our greatest innovation is our empathy. And, and I'll just add that it's kind of like the superpower of broader inclusion. If we're going to change the world, we have to really think outside of who we are. Um, switching gears and kind of wrapping Congratulations, I understand, are in order because uh, PayPal recently announced that they will deposit $135 million of its capital into mission-driven financial institutions and management funds that help underserved communities of color, talking about greater inclusion, and to fight barriers for economic equity, including CNOTE's Wisdom Fund and uh, some other smaller financial institutions through a CNOTE Promise account. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then can you talk a little bit about what's next for CNOTE? Absolutely. Um, and I want to give a shout out to PayPal for being, being part of what I believe is history in the making. So we talked a little bit early on about how we all relied on philanthropy and government to solve problems, right, especially around economic justice. One major actor or segment that I think none of us thought was going to be the hero of the day were corporations, right? They've got businesses to run and products to sell. And yet one of, I think, the silver linings of this pandemic and, and the um, what has been happening from a racial outcry and a justifiable right racial um, discussion across the nation 
has been corporations stepping up going, oh, I should be doing more. What is our role as a corporation? What is our role as a corporate citizen? And so in a good note, you have organizations, you know, companies like PayPal and MasterCard and others really stepping in to say, I know we can do more and we should. Now, then the question becomes how, right? So, for example, in PayPal's perspective, um, they really wanted to do something more around racial justice and economic justice. A lot of intention, large balance sheet. How do you make that work? And that's really where our technology shines is we are able to work with these very large corporations who, again, have good intentions and very large balance sheets and provide them a seamless way to move money in an authentic way. Um, I'd say kind of two things we learned in that in that journey with corporations is number one, obviously efficiency. You know, for most of these corporations, this is not their day job is fighting racial justice. And so how can they do this in a way that they don't have to add three people to their team, you know, um, or don't have to create more risk, right, in an area of their balance sheet where they don't, where it's capital preservation is number one. But it's also authenticity because um, they want to do it right. You know, and so I think because we've been partnering with CDFIs and community banks and credit unions for years, um, we are able to really step up and say, here's how. If you really want to do this in a way that truly serves need first, that is transparent, um, that really provides economic mobility at scale, here's how. Uh, so it, it really represented, I think, just a, an exciting win, sure, for us as a company, but I also think an historic uh, moment in time where you're seeing more and more corporations recognize that it's not just about their corporate foundation anymore. It's not just about their advocacy arm. They can use this tool called their balance sheet, their corporate balance sheet to galvanize change. Well, here's to more companies that are willing to do that and take that step. Um, because I, I, I'm hoping that if anything we had learned the last year and a half, two years is that we need to support each other in order for us all to thrive and um, we're in it together. So absolutely. Here it goes. Let's um, best of luck to you, Kat. And uh, hopefully next time we will catch up a little sooner than what happened last time. And hopefully, you know, we can actually get together face to face and, and share a coffee perhaps next year. So I would love it. I would love it. I'm delighted to hear and see you both and um, just be a part of this inspiring podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today and thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.